0: Again, our our text as we continue through our study of Daniel and this little detour into the war that we fight against our spiritual enemy, the devil and all his forces. Again, in Daniel, we will we will soon uh, be getting back to the text uh, in Daniel chapter 10. I think after this sermon, in my mind, we have probably two more sermons uh, before we get back to the actual text. But remember again how we were led to consider our spiritual warfare. It had to do, again, in verse 13, with this spiritual battle in heavenly places between uh, those righteous and godly angels and those wicked and devilish uh, angels, those fallen angels, that warfare that's going on and not wanting to simply leave it at that because that is happening in nations even now. That's the kind of thing that is, uh, there is a battle Uh, even within nations presently, uh, in these spiritual uh, places going on, how much more we as Christians should be aware of that battle. And this is what the Apostle Paul seeks to show to us, how much more we should be aware of that battle in our own lives, in our families, in the church, that there is a spiritual battle going on. And if we dismiss it, uh, we do so again to our own hurt, to our own shame. And so let us again consider from Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, Daniel 10:13. Let us consider what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter six, and we'll be. Focusing upon verses fifteen through sixteen today, but let me again pick up the context beginning with verse ten. Ephesians 6:10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked." world is searching for peace. Peace within one's soul, peace within families, peace in nations. But I submit to you, dear ones, that a worldly peace will not bring a true lasting peace, because the world's idea of peace does not remove the true barrier to peace. Which is sin. That's the barrier that must be removed to have a true biblical peace. The world's peace basically buries and neglects the sin that brings enmity, hostility, hatred, division, and injustice. They want to try and deal with the symptoms, but not with the cause. Therefore, the world will never find true peace. By all of its efforts, by all of its treaties, or legislation, or peace organizations, that won't do it at all. The Lord says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 57 verses 20 through 21, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. Think of the waves and the troubled sea crashing against one another. The Lord says, that's what the wicked are like. Whose waters, the Lord goes on in Isaiah 57, 20 through 21, whose waters cast up mire and dirt, there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. No peace to the wicked. True peace, that is biblical peace, can only be found in him who is called in scripture the Prince of Peace. In Isaiah 9.6, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Only Jesus and his glorious gospel, dear ones, can remove that huge wall, that barrier of sin that separates God from us and separates husbands from wives and separates parents from children and separates family members from one another and separates friends from one another and separates brethren in Christ from one another. There was one of the greatest temptations and devices used by the devil to attack the child of God is to thwart the peace of mind in the midst of great trials and to rob us of the comfort of that peace from God and that peace with one another, to rob us of that peace. We are so much more during so much more vulnerable to the temptations of the devil to be angry and to be bitter, to lust, to steal, to lie, and to fall away from Jesus Christ as our first love when we have no peace of mind or when we are at conflict with one another. A lack of peace, you can can count on it. A lack of peace only leads us into a multitude of temptations from the enemy. When we do not have a settled peace of mind, we are much, much more vulnerable to the temptations of the enemy. So let us consider today the next two pieces of the whole armor of God that Jesus has already purchased for us and that we must take up and put on daily in order to defend ourselves against the attacks of the enemy, that is, the devil. We have already considered the belt of truth in verse 14 and the breastplate of righteousness likewise in verse 14 now we move on to the next two pieces of armor that would be the boots of gospel peace in verse 15 and the shield of faith in verse 16 so let us look first of all at the boots of gospel peace and we read again in verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In the ancient world, Roman soldiers considered their footwear uh, in battle to be very, very important. It was not an unnecessary part of what they would put on, it was very necessary what they put on their feet. Let me illustrate it this way, how important it was in battle. If in a football game, it would be detrimental for a player to wear flip-flops out while everybody else had cleats and were playing, uh, that person is in for a lot of trouble. Uh, He's not going to be able to stand very long in his flip-flops. And if it's necessary, even in a game like that, how much more so in mortal face-to-face combat, in fighting against an enemy, in order to be ready to fight, in order to be prevented from slipping and sliding all over the place. The boots of Roman soldiers... Uh, were made of thick leather, having metal greaves down the shins and down uh, down to the top of their feet in order to protect them against arrows that might be shot uh, uh, at their legs or uh, at their feet. Uh, they also had uh, studs that they would, in their shoes, that they, boots that they would drive through in the heels in order, like cleats, to help stabilize them and to keep them from slipping and sliding in battle. In the text before us, to what are the Roman soldiers' boots likened by Paul in a spiritual way? Well, Paul says our feet are to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Let's break this down in several observations. First, Paul speaking on behalf of Christ here, he commands us, he doesn't suggest, but he commands us on behalf of Christ to put each piece of this armor on. Jesus has already secured the armor for us. He's already paid for it. We don't have to go out and pay for any of the pieces of armor that we need to battle against the enemy. Jesus has already completed that. We need only to put it on every day. Put this armor on as we're commanded to do. Notice in Ephesians 6, verse 11 and in verse 13, Notice these are commands. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 13, again a command. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. You see, armor that <clears throat> we have but that we don't put on, uh, doesn't do us any good. If we failed to put on these pieces of armor, uh, it's our neglect. It's our forgetfulness. It's our fault. Yea, even it's our sin, because we've been commanded. And we're basically either through neglect or forgetfulness or just saying, I don't want to put it on, We're sinning when we do so, when we fail to put on the whole armor of God. So may we, in this first observation, may we ever take so seriously our king's command through the Apostle Paul. The second observation, when Paul says that we are to shod our feet with the preparation, I want to just emphasize, highlight that, 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 the preparation of the gospel of peace. Let's understand that like boots that are prepared and ready for battle, so we ourselves are to be prepared and ready for battle daily. When we go to work, we're to be pre- prepared for battle. When we go to school, We're to be prepared for battle. Or when we are all alone in front of our computer, we're to be prepared for battle. Or in our family, our daily family relationships, we are to be prepared for battle because the enemy is going to seek to tempt us. He's going to seek to sow discord among us He's going to seek to mislead us. And then also, when we're among our brethren, we need to be shod, prepared, ready, because it doesn't matter where we are. The enemy doesn't have select uh, places where he does tempt us and places where he doesn't tempt us, everything is open. To the enemy. And so these boots of the gospel are to be ready to be used at all times. To be worn at all times. You see, the enemy delights to ambush us uh, when we are least expecting to be tempted. And so ever, we are to keep on our our boots be ready be prepared of the gospel of peace we eat in these boots we sleep yes we sleep in these boots because we can be tempted even while we are in bed we fellowship with one another in these boots we worship in these boots Because we want to always, always be ready for Satan's temptations. A third observation. What is the gospel of peace? What does that phrase refer to? Well, it's the gospel, which means good news. It's the gospel or good news of Jesus Christ that brings peace. Peace between us and God, peace within our own hearts and consciences, and peace with one another. That's what the gospel does. It is good news that brings peace. You see, dear ones, it's, it's through Christ's shed blood on the cross that God has brought peace into this world, according to Colossians one twenty. It's not through political reform. It's not through legislation. It's not through the United Nations or any other peace organization or any other treaty that true peace comes unto us. But through Jesus' suffering in the place of guilty sinners who were chosen in Christ Jesus before the world began, and Jesus receiving their punishment, the punishment that they deserved, the punishment we, who trust in him, deserved, Jesus bore the guilt and the punishment for sin for us. If sin is the enemy, Of peace, which it is. That's the enemy of peace. That's the barrier to peace. If sin is the enemy to peace, then sin must be removed in order to bring true peace. True peace. And that the gospel of Jesus Christ accomplishes and does. A fourth observation. Let us be clear that we understand correctly what biblical peace is. True peace, dear ones, is not a mere temporary cessation of of conflict in which we only temporarily maintain some civility, outward civility toward one another while in our hearts despising that person. Jesus says that's actually spiritual murder when even if we have some outward civility but in our own hearts we despise that person or or give evidence to the effect that we despise that person by the way we speak to them, by the way we we treat them. See, ones. Cessation of outward conflict, I would confess, is better than outright hostilities, for sure, in our marriages or in other relationships. But biblical peace, biblical peace means reconciliation. That's biblical peace. Reconciliation, the wall, the barrier of sin that separates us from God and separates us from one another is removed so that there is a blessed communion in enjoying fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. And only the gospel of Jesus Christ can bring true peace because only the gospel of Jesus Christ removes the problem, the cause of enmity and hostility, namely sin. Only the gospel removes that. And sin, let us be clear, according to 1 John 3, 4, is simply transgression of the law of God. That's what sin is. Transgression in thought, words, or deeds of God's holy law. There are two aspects as we consider what biblical peace is. We're going to break this down a little further. There's two aspects of of biblical peace that I want to flesh out a little more with you there is peace with God and there is the peace of God okay let's look at both of these aspects of peace that Jesus Christ purchased for us both aspects Jesus has purchased for us so first of all the gospel peace with God. Peace with God. We see in Romans 5.1, this spoken of, when Paul says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This peace with God is the very foundation of all Peace that comes from God. God, as judge, no longer condemns us who are in Christ Jesus by faith alone, because Jesus has borne all the guilt, all the punishment for our sins. Romans 8, verses 33 through 34, reads, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. By those statements, Paul's basically said as far as this peace with God, it's something. It's a peace that cannot be interrupted. It's a peace that is settled now because God has already declared us righteous. He has already removed the barrier of sin once and for all between us and Him so that we now have communion with Him through Jesus Christ. God is no longer an angry judge against us who have been reconciled to him through Christ, but is now a reconciled father and no longer condemns us. You see, this peace with God is an objective peace. It's a peace outside of ourselves, a peace God declares in the heavenly courts to be true because we are united to Christ by faith alone. In this peace with God, the unbearable weight and burden of guilt that plagued us at one time has been removed out of the way The wall of sin that separated us from an absolutely holy God is torn down, destroyed by Christ, and we are imputed, credited, accounted, righteous, as righteous as Jesus himself is in the courts of heaven. And God thereby declares us to be righteous forever in his sight. And then... Gloriously, it's as as if God steps from behind His His judicial bench, and He takes the robe of the family and throws His arms around us as a loving Father, and clothes us in the in the robes of white robes of purity of God's family and adopts us into his family now and forever through faith in Christ. Peace and loving communion with the God of the universe are now ours. Imagine that. The God who created everything is now our Father, our loving Father, our perfect Father, None of us are perfect fathers. We all fall. We all sin. We all have regrets because we know where we have failed. But God is a perfect father. God is a glorious father who loves us with an infinite and everlasting love. Peace and loving communion are now ours This is the gospel of peace with God. And dear ones, there is no true peace within ourselves, and there is no true peace with others unless we begin with that first peace, peace with God. That must be the first peace that we settle and that is settled for us. The second aspect of the gospel of peace Is the gospel peace of God, not with God, but of God. That we find in Philippians chapter four, verses six through seven. Be careful for nothing. That is, be full of care about nothing. Don't be overwhelmed by care. Uh, Don't, don't uh, worry. Don't be filled with anxiety. Or fear about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known unto God. Notice, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When it says that the peace of God, it surpasses all understanding. It's beyond comprehension, the peace that God gives to his people in the midst of great trials and tribulations, persecution. Think of the martyrs and how they went to death, so many of them, with such peace. Where did that come from? It's the peace, again, the peace of God that surpasseth all understanding. We can't comprehend that peace. But it is a peace which the Lord Jesus has purchased for his people, for us to delight in, for us to enjoy as his people. Again, it's not something we have to go out and and purchase. It's been purchased. It's just something that we need to put on uh, our feet. Preparation of the gospel of peace. This is a subjective peace. Peace with God, we said, was an object of peace outside of ourselves. This peace of God is a subjective peace within us and within our relationships with one another. As we have read, the peace of God, as Paul says, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The word keep there means guard. It has the picture of a garrison of soldiers that are set about your mind. God's holy angels, as it were, set about your, your mind to protect your mind from becoming flustered and upset because you're late or to prevent you uh, from becoming Fearful over certain news reports or whatever it may be, to again guard around your mind and your heart so that you are not led into an overwhelming distress. That's what this piece. Of God. It is ours in Christ. The peace of God here guards our conscience against the accusations of the devil, guards our minds against temptation to worry, to fear, to panic when our world seems like it has been turned upside down or when afflictions assail us, or when we are confused and we don't know which path to take, this peace God sends to set a garrison around our hearts and our minds. This peace of God brings a calm. It brings a calm within us, which allows us then to wisely reason how we should rightly respond to both people and to circumstances that confront us. Not to do so in panic, but to do so in calm because God's peace overwhelms us. He's in control. He is all wise. He knows what's best. He will teach. He will guide. He will protect Rather than reacting in a, in a fit of anger or in panic, God's peace guards our minds, knowing that our God of peace is sovereign over all that comes into our lives. Nothing comes accidentally. Our God of peace loves us with an everlasting love that can neither increase nor decrease because it's the love that he has for us in Jesus Christ. His love for Jesus would have to change before his love for us would change because we are in Christ. The peace of God compels us, dear ones, to strive as much as we are able to live at peace with one another, in our homes, and in the church, at work, at school. Romans twelve eighteen: If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, we can't control other people, but we are to control ourselves. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. The peace of God also compels us to ever work at restoring broken relationships in our family and among brethren by being easily entreated and by approaching one another in such a way that we not simply utter the words, I love you, but that that person to whom we're coming knows that we truly love them and we are coming to talk with them because we do love them truly. I dare say that our attempts to reconciliation will usually only be as effective to the degree that That person that we are talking to knows that we love them and care for them. Jesus, in the Beatitudes, thrusts this forward as being a great blessing. Blessed are the peacemakers, the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. Those who seek to make peace, those who go out of their way to make peace. That is, again, the blessedness of the work of God in the hearts of his children. And so we're not to go as Children of God, we're not to go looking for fights, looking for arguments, looking for debates, but at the same time, we are to look for and to be ready with the boots, with the boots of gospel peace, to bring true peace and reconciliation with others by means of God's truth and God's love. We are always, <clears throat> I believe, in a very vulnerable place to be tempted by the enemy, as I said at the beginning of the sermon, when we don't have peace, the peace of God, when we're unsettled, when we're, when we're running around in fear and panic, when we're confused in our minds, when we're angry, where there's not, again, a calm, a divine calm that we are resting in. We are very vulnerable at those times. What we must learn to do, I believe, is to stop, consciously put on the boots of gospel peace by faith. That is, practically, flee to Christ, to trust him, to seek his forgiveness, to seek his mercy, and to remember that God in heaven is not in any way in fear, just because we're in fear. He's not in fear. Just because we're confused, he's not confused. Just because everything seems out of control to us, It's not out of control to God. It's in control under His sovereign, most wise hand. And so, knowing that, believing that, let us by faith arise to those heavenly places where the Lord is and as it were, breathe in Breathe in the peace of God that passeth all understanding. That atmosphere of peace in which he dwells. Let us breathe in that peace into our present circumstances and situation. In Isaiah 26 verses 3 through 4, the prophet reminds us, Thou will keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on the Lord. I dare say that the unspeakable joy that we will enjoy in heaven forever flows from the peace that will be there. When our homes are at peace, are we not filled with joy? Or are we rather, oh, this is, this is unsettling. There's, there's, no, there's no war. There's no conflict. And, we, and we've got to have that happening in our family. I pray that's not the case. I believe that we find when there is peace in relationships, there's joy in relationships. When there's peace between God and us, there's joy that flows from that relationship of peace and that's what makes heaven heaven all of the conflicts all of the dissension all of the division all of the fighting will be ended once and for all and there will be joy because there is peace because sin has been removed which is the cause of enmity and sin will be forever removed, temptation forever removed, therefore there will be perfect peace and from that will be perfect joy the second main point, the shield of faith, which we will spend a little less time talking about but nevertheless we will cover it as it's found in verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, or of the wicked one, the evil one. The Greek word uh, that is used here for shield, thur thur os is a derivative of the Greek word for a door, thura. You can hear the thur uh, in both of those, the shield, thuraos, and thura. That's because this particular shield that's spoken of here was like a door. It was large. It It was about four feet high, oblong, four feet high, and about two and a half feet in breadth. It was not like that small uh, shield that one held in his hand while with the other hand one held a spear or a sword. No, this was, this was a large shield. And in Roman warfare, this shield would be placed in front of a soldier to protect the whole body of the soldier from arrows, from spears. It would also be lifted up when there was a barrage of fiery arrows shot by the enemy that it would be held over their head to protect them from those fiery darts and and arrows that would be rained upon them by the enemy. The shield of faith, dear ones, uh, here does not so much refer to the body of biblical truth like in jude 3 where it says speaks of the faith which was once delivered unto the saints so this shield of faith does not refer so much to the body of truth that's already basically been covered under the belt of truth but rather this shield of faith refers to the act of faith not to the body of faith, that is to be believed as much as the act of faith in trusting in Christ and in the Lord when the enemy assails us. As we find in Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6 Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways. Acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Trust in the Lord. That's what this shield of faith is, trusting in God, trusting in Christ. This faith is taking God at his word. Like it says in Psalm 118, verses 8 through 9, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. This shield of faith is trusting in God and his truth even when family, friends, co-workers, and even when the government stands against us. This faith says that God's truth in Scripture is more reliable than all the wise men of this world, than all the so-called experts of this world. This shield of faith does not follow the multitude. It does not even follow our own feelings, this shield of faith. But this shield of faith relies on this. Thus saith the Lord. That's what this shield of faith relies on. Consider this about our God and why he is trustworthy. Why we ought to put our confidence in him when we are assailed and attacked by the enemy. First of all, God's knowledge and understanding are infinite, without boundary, without limitations, according to Psalm 147.5. His understanding is infinite. Furthermore, concerning our God and why we ought to trust him, it's impossible for God to lie. He cannot de- deceive, he cannot lie. Titus 1.2. Next, it, he is, God is ever faithful and always keeps his word. Lamentations 3, verses 22 through 23, says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God is ever faithful. Not once has he ever been unfaithful to us. He's trustworthy because he's ever faithful. Furthermore, concerning God, nothing or no one can stay the hand of God from helping us in whatever situation and circumstance we face. No no one can stay God's hand. No one can stop his hand. No one can hold him back from helping us. Very promise, a precious promise and declaration of who our God is and how powerful and mighty he is and why we should trust in him. In Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3 and, and verses 10 through 11, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. And verses 10 through 11, be still, become, trust in God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted over the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Therefore, dear ones, I submit to you, this is our God. This is him in whom we trust. He is worthy of our complete trust in all temptations and trials, afflictions and sorrows and persecution that we may face. His word and his promises are forever settled in heaven, according to Psalm 11989. 1, and dear ones, you know, do you understand why we doubt Him? When we doubt the Lord, When we run around in panic and worry and fear, why do we do so? I submit to you that we do so because we do not know him as we ought to know him. Because if we truly knew our God, we would not run around in panic and fear and anxiety. Because we would trust him in all the circumstances because we know who he is. Dear ones, we can have the truth in the Bible and know what God has promised and even have other pieces of this armor that Paul mentions here in Ephesians 6. But unless we take the shield of faith with us daily, and put that shield of faith in front of us. Put that shield of faith over us when the fiery arrows of the enemy come our way. Our mere knowledge, our mere knowledge of the truth will not be effective in defending us against the attacks of the enemy if we do not take a shield of faith. We can have the other pieces of armor, but do you do do we truly understand that it's faith that it is faith that even puts those other pieces of armor on? Christ has purchased them for us, but it's faith that puts them on. When Paul says. In verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith. He means that faith is that means by which we, again, put on all the other pieces of of God's armor and by which we stand. Faith is, in fact, the putting on of what Christ has already purchased for us. That's why faith is so important. Faith. shield of faith above all taking the shield of faith and before i close i just want to make a couple statements because faith is abused and misused and misunderstood um, sometimes ignorantly sometimes willfully but let me say this. Faith is not blind. Faith is not blind. Biblical faith is not blind. Biblical faith sees clearly what God has said in his word and clings to what God has said in his word in the midst of the greatest storm. It's not a blind faith. It's a living faith. The other objection that we may hear in the world is this faith is contrary to reason. Faith is contrary to reason. But I want to say very clearly faith is not, biblical faith is not contrary to reason. Because biblical faith clings to God who supremely and absolutely is reasonable. In fact, God's reason and his superior, infinitely superior reason makes our reason, our mere earthly and human reason, to appear foolish. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9, the Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's reason makes our reason possible. The only, the only reason that we can reason is because He is the source of all reason and the source of all knowledge. We've perverted, granted, we've perverted that reason and that knowledge by our sin. But it is, dear ones, God's wisdom working in us to trust such a glorious God, such a reasonable God. Faith is not indeed, faith is not contrary to true reason. Biblical faith is not. In fact, I would say it is our foolishness to doubt and to disbelieve the God of all reason. So when the devil assails us and various temptations come against us, let us be quick. Not slow, but quick to put up the shield of faith, to flee to Christ. To trust him. To commit all of our ways to him because of who he is. His greatness, his might, his faithfulness. That is what, dear ones, the heroes of faith have always done. And they have ever found God to be faithful. You might want to read Hebrews chapter 11. The heroes of faith. Think of Abraham. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know uh, what uh, land he would possess, but he trusted God knew. And he committed all his ways unto the Lord because God had made a covenant with him. And God directed him. Uh, Even when it seemed perhaps uh, that uh, there were delays that God didn't immediately take him to the promised land. There were stops, there were delays before getting to the promised land, but he trusted God. Gideon trusted God with only 300 men against 120,000 Midianites. He trusted God. His his faith in trusting God was not brought to shame but it was magnified and exalted because of the greatness of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted God facing a fiery furnace. Daniel trusted God being threatened and then thrown into a lion's den. Paul trusted God and prayed three times that the Lord would deliver him from this thorn in the flesh, but God said, rather than taking the thorn in the flesh from him, my grace is sufficient for you. That's all Paul needed was God's grace. He didn't have to be delivered from that thorn in the flesh. He trusted God. That's what we need to do in the midst of our trials, in the midst of temptations. And so let us as Christ soldiers daily put on the boots of gospel peace and take up The shield of faith by God's abundant grace that we may be able to stand against the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Amen. Please stand with me in prayer. Our faithful and glorious God, we thank thee for humbling us again showing to us again Thy greatness, Thy might, Thy power, Thy love, Thy tender mercies and compassions for us. We thank Thee, our God, that we can commit all of our ways to Thee, that we can be at peace in whatever circumstance and situation we face we do not have to be running around at the whim of the devil by way of his temptations and attacks against us. That we can, by thy grace, put on the boots of gospel peace. We praise thee, our Lord, for the shield of faith. And Lord, may we arm ourselves daily That we, Lord, not be uh, hurt and injured, but lift up that shield of faith to trust in the Lord, to find our help in him every day, regardless of where we are. Thank you, Lord, for these reminders, for Christ having purchased all of this armor for us. Let us obey him and put on this armor daily that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. In Jesus' name, amen.